and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And Pride Month continues, but today it's just family. Yes, just just do today. Just family. Thank you. Thank you, RuPaul. Yes. Nice, fabulous Ross Matthews or uh, style superstar. No, no, thank you for uh, explaining the joke you, to anyone who didn't get well, it. Not everyone <laughs> who's listening is going to be like, mm, yeah, I got that RuPaul reference. Well, I mean, there'd be something wrong if it didn't. Um, <laughs> but yes, uh, it's just us today, and it's original versus remake time again. And of course, you know, Pride Month, got to keep it on brand, got to keep the theme going. So uh, I'm sure Chris will like to explain what we're talking about. It means it was his choice. Yes, um, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, all 195 episodes, episodes, is that the word? Episodes, that yes, the word. they are episodes. Yeah, um, if you are a full-time listener, you'll know that we love John Waters. Yes. And for me, obvious choice, let's compare hairspray. Yeah, so very much caught and other. Definitely yeah. not trash. N- no, no. Although the I mean, the horror is uh, John Travolta's fat suit in the remake. I, <laughs> I feel like because John Waters is the Pope of trash. Mm-hmm. That's his nickname. Um, even his least trashiest film, still. Counts as trash. And it's a bit of that, Just because he's made yeah, it. The, the signature John Waters polished trash. Yeah. Uh, getting on with the poll results. The original won with 78% and the remake got 22%. Uh, yeah, I mean, very much like, I believe it was last month where I said this. Um, wait, what was last? Initiation of, yeah, yeah. Pretty much like I said last month. There's no right or wrong answer with this. Uh, it is two great films. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll get to it, we'll get to it. Spoiler of my opinion. And before we get into the films, let's go for our socials catch-up. Oh, you you guys have been busy spamming us with uh, comments, keeping the gays busy during Pride Month. Um, Love to see it. Selected a few. Uh, Tom Collins on Twitter. Do you know, I always love hearing from Tom Collins, uh, author on Twitter. He... Always sends us the best stuff, including this great story on Basic Instinct. It's a great episode, guys, although I did skip the Real Housewives bit. Sorry. We forgive you. That's okay. It's not for everyone. (laughs) Uh, uh, But before we read the rest of his message, here's a Housewives tangent. So, Real Housewives... No, not really. No. Uh, It's great to know other gays love Basic Instinct as much as I do. Saw it five times in the cinema upon its release. Instantly knew it was camp and that Sharon was an instant gay icon. Basic Instinct 2 isn't as good, but it's still a lot of fun, especially if you like Body of Evidence. Um, yeah, so it's really cool that he realised what it was when it first came out and watched it five times at the cinema, um, which is something that a lot of people haven't really done until this day, like figuring out what Basic Instinct actually is. Yeah, I think it's one of those films where you can get what you want out of it. Yeah. You know, if you're watching it for a saucy time then, you know, who am I to judge? It's, it's there. You, you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Whereas we find a lot more layers to mm-hmm. the film, should I say, than just the uh, the TNA. Yeah. Um, 
Scarlett Oscara666 on Instagram said about Basic Instinct, it's a fun, slick flick. Its sequel, on the other hand, is a total mess. So two, there's mixed messages there about the sequel. Um, Although, he did say if you like Body of Evidence, so... Body of Evidence is a total mess as well, so... Um, I think we may have to cover it on the podcast. Well, Curtis said that you might not be able to get a full episode out of it. Mm. On his episode. Do you think I'll have to... Mm. Yeah. We'll watch it and judge. We'll yeah, watch it and judge. Po- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Harshly. Let's, let's watch first and then <laughs> That's we'll what we always out. do. Um, Stephen on Twitter said he remembers he brought a two DVD set including The Brotherhood and would secretly watch it. It's so bad it's good and lots of hot guys in underwear. Uh, and on a similar note, Planet Planet Terror uh, podcast on Instagram. Um, great name, completely threw me off because I expected Planet Terror, but it's Planeta Tower Terror. See, I still can't even say it. Um, input said it's impossible to pick just one favorite David Dakota film, but Ring of Darkness <laughs> and Killer Bash because my sexual awakening for obvious reasons. There we go. Happy Pride Month for everyone. That you know, some people sexual awakenings, basic instinct. Some of them, it's. Ring of Darkness. Yeah. You know? There's something for everyone. David Dakota, Ring of Darkness. Do you think it does what it says on the tin? Um, no. <laughs> I don't actually think it does. <laughs> uh, and finally, Bobby Carrot on Instagram uh, said, uh, in regards to today's films, uh, I think I'll always prefer the original Hairspray because Divide, but the remake does have You Can't Stop the Beat. Yes. Which is a very good song. Yeah. And we'll we'll give our opinions on what's our favourite of the songs yes. at the end. So stay tuned, guys. And uh, keep your comments coming in. We are Horacle Trash over on Facebook and Instagram and Horacle Trash on Twitter. So, getting to today's films. Hairspray was released in 1988, written and directed by John Waters who you may know from the likes of Pink Flamingos, Crybaby, Polyester, Female Trouble, Multiple Maniacs, etc, etc. Made on a budget of $2 million, and it made $6.6 million worldwide. Good for 1988? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think it's his most... Uh, it's his most successful film. Successful yeah. film, financially. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been... Watching some interviews with John Waters recently, and you know, for the last God knows how many years, um, and he always, he's always said that he was surprised that all his films weren't a financial success. No, um, no one else believed his films would be financially successful, <laughs> but he believed that all of them should have been. Um, this is his most family friendly. Yeah. So it makes sense that this would be his most financially successful. Yeah, this is his first and only PG-rated film. Um, Which um, New Line were horrified at, <laughs> weren't they? Yeah. Um, they were like, no, you, you're going to have to, someone's going to have to say shit at some point just to get a PG-13 mm-hmm. because no one's going to want to watch a John Waters film. PG film. Yeah. Because they're not, they ain't going to get it. I mean, I see what he means about he's surprised they're not all, you know, financially successful because of the shock value. Mm. You know, I mean, who wouldn't want to go and see this bizarre, outrageous film that's just been released at, at the cinema? I mean, 
Yeah. You know, I would. But I think it, it's availability as well. I, th- I yeah. think the, the kind of... We talk about a worldwide take, you know, mm-hmm. um, but really the emphasis is on America. Yeah. Uh, particularly for American films, like how much money can it take in America? Because that is, you know, where all the money is. Uh-huh. Um, nowadays, you also have China and, and you know, uh, particularly in, to some degree, Russia, but, but China as well, which is uh, where there's a lot of box office mm-hmm. potential. Um, and then that's a whole other podcast episode in itself. Um, but the American take is usually what the emphasis is on. Um, with John Waters' films, they were X-rated. Yeah. X-rated means no one under 18 can watch it. Mm-hmm. Either accompanied by an adult or not. Yeah. They can't watch it. Which is why it comes up so often on this podcast, particularly in the trivia, where it's like, they had to do this, this, this and this to get an R rating. Because R rating was so important mm-hmm. because it opens up your potential audience slash box office to a greater degree. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why his films didn't do so great. Uh-huh. Because a lot of them were X rated. Yeah. Particularly, particularly the early ones. Oh, definitely. And then you get something like polyester wouldn't have been X rated. No, it would have been R rated. No, I, yeah. A very niche audience, really. Yeah. Um, but more appreciated nowadays, I think. Yeah, it. But it, it's one of those things you either get it or you don't. Yeah. You know, my my mum would sit and watch Hairspray and be like, "That's a lovely film." Mm-hmm. My mum would sit and watch polyester and she just she might not get it yeah what i what i I learned you know you know and that's not to say that she's thick or anything like that it's just it's not for everyone what i love about hairspray is the fact that it's better for someone to watch it who gets john waters because uh to the casual viewer you know it's just uh, an 80s comedy um you know but when you watch it and you're familiar with the work of John Waters and his type of humour, it's so much funnier because he's actually doing his thing, like the over-the-top zany acting and everything. He, There's just a very distinct style there, and I think to fully appreciate it, you have to know what he's going for. Um... But it can, but it can be enjoyed otherwise yeah, as well. As, I agree. As just a, you know, I, I agree to a certain degree. I think... Because it's so nostalgic mm-hmm. to the sixties, I think there is an extra aspect there. Yeah, and he that works best. People, an older audience yeah. would really appreciate. Oh, definitely, know, and be like, yeah. oh, you know, I remember huge hair. Now, yeah, obviously, it probably wasn't as big as Debbie Harry's yeah. hairspray. But it, it's there's a nostalgia there that I think a lot of audience would appreciate too. Yeah, and John Waters really works best when he's working with stuff based on the 60s. I mean, and, and what I was meant earlier from my other point is uh, if you look at the uh, performance of Lulu in Polyester, funniest character in the film, like her over-the-top, like always dancing and everything, acting like she's in the 60s, talking about how she wants to become a go-go dancer and whatever... That's most of the performances in this film. Yeah. 
and that's and that to me that's that's just hilarious. It's just something of in his films that really gets me all the time. Yeah, it it's that it's it's a distinct humor. It's like watching a beach party sixties film. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and of course his influences shine through with that sort of thing. Yeah, it's camp, it's irreverent. Yeah, um, and it's the irreverent parts that are mm-hmm. the most hilarious yeah. in his films. Um, but you can always get something else from it, particularly yeah. with hairspray. We'll, we'll get into that, won't we? Again, into trivia, Ricky Lake began rapidly losing weight due to the intense dance lessons she had to take for the film. So she reportedly had to eat like crazy. In order to stay pleasantly plump, like her character description suggested. Yes. <laughs> um, a scene was filmed where Tracy finds cockroaches in her hair. It was based on an urban legend about a girl whose brain is eaten by cockroaches that were living in her beehive hairdo. While it never made it into the final cut, it explains all the references to roaches in the latter part of the film. Yeah. Apparently, yeah, they did shoot it with, like, real yeah. roaches. And then Ricky Lake was fuming. When she watched it, she thought, I did that for nothing. <laughs> uh, there's a, another scene filmed but Kurt where prior to a Corny Collins audition, Tracy breaks into Amber's house, destroys Amber's room, and dyes her hair blonde. Uh, this scene explains why Tracy's hair changes from brown to blonde in between scenes. Yeah. <laughs> but again, it's those little... The cockroaches and her just randomly trashing um, Amber's room. It's those little John Waters things that are just so funny. And I'd love to have seen them kept in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Those um, high melodrama moments that he's so good at. Uh, During a road trip to promote the film following its release, John Waters and Divine were making a circuit. Two weeks into the trip, Divine sadly collapsed and died. Waters was devastated and later made the comment, after you've worked so hard all your life and finally succeed, I think you deserve more than two weeks to enjoy it. It was very sad. It very sad. Very sad. Um, Divine was a talent that we will probably never see the likes of again. No. You know, the first real mainstream drag... Yeah. Uh, uh, drag act. I sound like Jonathan Ross. Uh, drag artist. Um, one thing that I've sort of seen time and time again in interviews with John Waters is that Divine never saw himself as a drag artist. Mm-hmm. He always saw himself, and, and referred to himself as he, as an actor who dressed as a woman. Yeah. For acting roles. Mm-hmm. And it, it was all him being an actor. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, performing a role. Rather than seeing himself as a drag queen. Yeah. Um, but again. You know. The, the incredibly talented. In your face. Yeah. Wonderful. You know. Human being. He's set the ground. He's laid the groundwork for so many other drag queens. Like, even to this very day. You know. Um, so much screen time on RuPaul's Drag Race has been dedicated to queens who are modelling themselves after Divine. Yeah. And, like, you know, certain challenges and everything and that. It's made its way into the mainstream. Even without people realising, I mean, look at the villain in The Little Mermaid. Absolutely. Based on Divine. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um, so culturally important. Um, and, and absolutely, you know... Anyone who loves drag or, you know, 
anything along those lines and you haven't heard of Divine, do your research, watch these films, because, yeah. As I said, just such an important historical figure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Piazzadora was offered the role of Amber Von Trussell, uh, Trussell even, but she was unable to commit due to scheduling conflicts. Writer-director John Waters was adamant that she appears in the film, so she cleared two days to shoot a cameo as the beatnik chick. Uh, Waters cast Adora because he was impressed with her performance in Voyage of the Rock Aliens. I don't think that's true. I, I don't know. I watched... Uh, we've seen Voyage of the Rock Aliens, and I wouldn't blame him for that. Um, but I watched a... Um, oh, what do you call it? When they get on stage and answer questions. It was like Q&A. a Q&A uh, for Hairspray. And Piers Adora was part of it. And uh, she she did refer to this as her the best performance of her career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is surprised because she's barely in the film. She's in like one scene. But she's very good in it. She is. She's in like one scene. Um, but John Waters said it was... Um, he'd written an essay on um, The Lonely Lady or, or Butterfly. Mm-hmm. They they couldn't really agree. They couldn't really remember which one it was, um, but one of her sort of earlier films that was much maligned, and uh, her performance, you know, she she was loved at the Razzies, um, but he loved her performance in it, mm-hmm. so I don't know, probably just loved her and and wanted her to yeah. be in in the film. But um, yeah, John Waters is a bit like us. Mm-hmm. To a certain and a bit like a lot of gay people, where they kind of take something that a lot of the mainstream has hated mm-hmm. and look at it from a different angle yeah. and a different appreciation. I, I feel like Voyage of the Rock Aliens were Pierce's sort of film, though. Yeah, yeah, but I also think Butterfly and Lonely Lady would yeah. have been as well because um, they're high camp and you know melodramatic mm-hmm. and yeah you know for some reason had awesome wells in <laughs> you know it's uh, i think i think it was butterfly that had awesome wells in and i think that's what he was sort of getting at like oh i think we may have to watch them um yes yeah yeah they're, they're very much on brand the uh, role of edna turnblad was originally written for famed trans woman christine jorgensen uh, however when the role of tracy had to be rewritten John Waters also rewrote the part of Edna in order to keep his friend and muse divine in the production. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you familiar with Christine Jorgensen? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that would work for Edna. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think visually mm-hmm. to have both Tracy and Edna as pleasantly plump yeah i think it works yeah whereas christine jorgensen as far as i remember mm-hmm. i'm not sure what what she looked like in 1988 but was a fairly thin blonde woman mm-hmm. um so i'm not sure i don't think that would have worked yeah uh tilted acres was based on Gwyn oak amusement park in baltimore county md where racial problems occurred the scenes were shot at Dorney Park in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, now, yeah, one thing this film does brilliantly, and, and I really can't 
stress enough how well it does to us is tackle um, important social issues, um, you know, and tackle racism uh, and, and bigotry, you know, I mean, even the discrimination against Tracy and her weight. Uh, it, it tackles it within a comedy in the 80s, set in the 60s. Now, obviously, there's a lot of terms that are very outdated that, you know, we won't be using on this uh, podcast, but it is set within the 60s, so it very much feels like the time. Uh, but both this and the remake, you know, they bring them into the 80s and then in the remake's case, 2007. And it kind of works to the point where it still feels relevant now. Oh, massively. They, they, they're so progressive, both of these films. Um, and to have the balls to do that in what is, you know, obviously John Waters wanted this to be a big financial success. It is a big film. And of course, the remake was a big film as well. Um, very much not advertised like a film that deals with important social issues. Um, I just think that's fantastic. And especially, you know, films made by white people dealing with these sort of things, especially when it comes to racism, can often be a little hit or miss because, you know, it's white people talking about issues involving black people. Um, it's the same as... I don't know if we mentioned the last... No, it would be this month. The same, same as Men, how, you know, that was written directly by a man talking about women's issues but the difference between these two is white casting white crew you know white director writer and etc etc it still works it still feels so sincere and you know it's coming from a good place yeah yeah both both films have haven't aged haven't aged it's difficult because we say that but they are literally they're basing everything of how people were talking the 60s exactly exactly there are aspects to both films that haven't aged the best but particularly with Hairspray the original 1988 Mm -hmm. because it basically follows the same plot the the, the musical follows the same plot so in terms of progressiveness it's 1988's that starts it off, yeah. you know? Um, in terms of being progressive, very much so. And, you know, and not hiding it. Mm-hmm. It's not being subversive about it. It's saying, that it's not necessarily advertised that way, but it's not shying away from the real harsh truth of segregation. Mm-hmm. In Baltimore, in nineteen sixty two, yeah, and it's based on John Waters' youth. Yeah, you know it's all based on fact, and it's all it. It goes through the John Waters, you know, process, mm-hmm. and comes out the other end as yeah. a you know, um, comedy, an mm-hmm. over the top comedy. But everything that he that it deals with yeah. was happening in Baltimore in 1962. Mm-hmm. And we think still relevant today. Absolutely. Yeah. Because these issues are continuing. Yeah. And they have continued. And it's not our issues now, particularly with Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about segregation. No. So that's not you know, as relatable, but there's so many other aspects. Yeah. So many parallels. So many, it. you know, things brought up in yeah. the film 
that are still relevant yeah. today. And it's what John Waters does so well in all of his films. Um, I mean, you look at something like Multiple Maniacs. That's absolutely a film talking about the way people in the 60s looked at gay people. Yeah. And people within the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. And it's also what he did so well was to bring people together. And, you know, there's no real... Some of them, maybe. But particularly with the early films, no one's winning an Oscar. No. These, the, they're not, the acting is not the best in the world because he's brought together a, a, a group of friends and, oh my God, forgive me, I cannot remember the, the name oh. of the, the um, group of actors, what they call themselves. Oh, um, the Dream it's, Chasers. No, dream, is it Dreamland? The Dream... Something like that. Oh, I think it's the Dreamlanders. Yeah, something like that. Forgive me, this is very embarrassing. Um, The Dreamlanders. Dreamlanders. So brought together these people who are in themselves very wacky. Yeah. Particularly someone like the Egg Lady in Pink Flamingos. Um, Edith Massey was literally just... She worked behind a bar and he said, yeah, amazing. (laughs) Come on, you know... Be the egg lady. Mm -hmm. And she's basically playing herself in these films. She played Mary first. You are? She played Mary first. Oh, she did, of course. (laughs) But, you know, her main role is the egg lady. You know, and it's bringing these people together and taking these real people Mm -hmm. and putting them into these films. And sort of, you know, he does a lot of basing characters on people he knew in real life. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like, you know, oh, well, so-and-so character. Oh, yeah, that, that was based on the woman who lived down the road who had 85 cats. You know, he takes his youth, he takes the people around him, he takes everyday people who, you know, let's be honest, are wacky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really, when you get to know them, now it's queer as folk, is there? Um, takes them and incorporates them into the films. This is all, you know, and, and puts it through the John Waters spin. Mm-hmm. Um, but going in, it's all sort of based on reality. What point was I making? We love John Waters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like real people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then and that's why the story works. Yeah. And, then, and why he he can deal with these issues because he did see it firsthand in 1962, mm-hmm. you know. And both films, the, their, heart, the, their heart is in a good place. Yeah. You know, and this is John Waters tackling racism. Yeah. The way that he knows how to do it. You know? Yeah. Remade on the Broadway stage in 2002 uh, and it opened at the Neil Simon Theatre on August 15th, 2002 and ran for 2,641 performances and won the 2003 Tony Award for Best Musical. And that's what led to the remake. Yes, yeah. So I would love to see it on stage. Um, yeah. Yeah? No? Yeah. Harvey Firestein with played uh, um, Edna. Edna, yeah. 
in uh, on stage. Um, f- fantastic. I love Harvey Firestein. Um, if you know the brother in Mrs. Doubtfire, uh-huh. but lots of other stuff. From yeah. But, um, yeah. Yes. There's, there's always going on somewhere. Yeah. I mean, when, when, I mean, there's the infamous Lester story. <laughs> I will say that for when we were uh, guests on, um... That's not a bad queer. Yeah. Hey, it's the same thing. It's the same it's thing. It's close. It's close to a grinder horror story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the role of Valma von Tussle was offered to Mary Weiss of the 1960s band The Shangri-Las. Oh, nice. And Frank Whaley auditioned for the role of Link Larkin. He's Frank Whaley. Why do I feel like Frank Whaley's a, a big teen star that we should know? Frank Whaley? Whaley? I recognise the is name. Wally? He he is an American actor, Google is telling me. Oh good. Um best known for Pulp Fiction. Uh he was in the Doors film. Swimming with Sharks, Vacancy. Oh Vacancy, he was the receptionist in Vacancy. You know the weirdo receptionist who had all the tapes. I'm sorry to that man. If I saw him walking down the street I'd have no idea who he is. Well I, s- I swear he had a, a fancy moustache in that film that you should remember him by. Anyway, um, yeah, it wouldn't have looked the same back then. <laughs> Get on to the remake, Hairspray. It was released in 2007, directed by Adam Shankman, who directed The Wedding Planner, A Walk to Remember, Bringing Down the House. A Walk to Remember. The Pacifier, Cheaper by the Dozen 2, Rock of Ages, What Men Want, AJ and the Queen, etc., etc. Right. Written by Leslie Dixon, the writer of Overboard, Loverboy, Look Who's Talking Now, boo. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, the Thomas Crown. Why Cram- are you booing Look Who's Talking Now? Because it's fucking abysmal. Right. We only watched the first Look Who's Talking films in this house. Mrs. Doubtfire, the uh, Thomas Crown Affair, Freaky Friday. Oh, the Thomas Crown Affair. Freaky Friday. Freaky Friday. <laughs> Just Like Heaven, The Heartbreak Kid, Limitless, etc., etc., and, of course, based on the musical play by Thomas Meehan and Mark O'Donnell. Budget, $75 million. That's quite a difference, isn't it? To the $2 million Absolutely. Budget. And it made $203.6 million worldwide because they perfectly timed it with the high school musical for that craze. Yeah, yeah. That's what I remember this film from. Now, obviously, you know, we always say, oh, where, what's your history of this film? The, the original self-explanatory. For me, with this one, my history is remembering that my sister was going crazy to watch it because Zac Efron was in it and the marketing was very much Zac Efron, Zac Efron, Zac Efron, Zac Efron Mm -hmm. because that was what was the big thing about then. Oh, it's Zac Efron and another musical. Um, Yeah, worlds apart from High School Musical. (laughs) Yeah. High School Musical... uh, (laughs) As as we know, you know, any sort of uh, issues in High School Musical... It's, it's a Disney Channel film. They're not going to deal with that. Um, but yeah, this is a remake of Hairspray. Yeah. So what What my point I'm trying to put over is, I don't think it's the film that people were probably expecting. Um, but I still think it did really well, critically. Yeah, no, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember watching it, and I, th- I think we watched it because of the Zac Efron aspect of it. Um, so did you not know this is a remake of John Waters' film? I did, yes. I did not. But I feel like I was never one to go to the cinema by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember wanting to watch it. 
um, because of the John Waters connection, even though I hadn't seen the original, mm-hmm. um, also it looked like a big, gay, fun yeah. time, you know. Um, and I'd heard a few of the songs and such. Um, but not being someone who goes to the cinema by myself, the reason we went was because Zac Efron yeah. was in it and the connection to High School Musical. That's how I had someone to go with. And then I really enjoyed it. And another friend of mine wanted to go see it. So this was the very first film I saw in the cinema twice. It's never anything that I did before. Um, And this was the very first time. And then I never really did that again until I met you. Of course. Uh. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Zac Efron playing dads in films now. Depressing. Watched his career from the beginning, going up. True, actually, yeah, I <laughs> suppose so. Yeah. Um, One thing I remember is that it was not his singing voice in High School Musical. Uh, no. He was dubbed, but it was, in Hairspray, his singing voice. Yeah, because then they started using his voice in High School Musical 2 and 3. Yeah. Um, we have some... Zac Efron's voice trivia coming up. Oh, nice. First of all, Amanda Bynes' character, Penny, is seen constantly eating lollipops. Bynes' father, who was a dentist, became very worried for her dental health as it was estimated she ate about 40 lollipops a day. She told him that she wasn't really eating all of them, but in reality, she ate them all. <gasps> Amanda Bynes, drag icon from um, She's the Man. <laughs> right. I do remember the Amanda show. Loved the Amanda show. I don't. No. No. Um, weird. I think to look back on it now, <laughs> it's very strange. Um, it was like a, a sketch show, so like the Catherine Tate show. Oh, okay. Um, but kind of very weird and very kind of. I'm making a weird noise. Kids are gonna look <laughs> like if we watched it now, we'd be like, <laughs> what is? <laughs> Then why why do kids eat this? <laughs> okay. When that when it's just like, <laughs> and then obviously like kids are like, oh my god, she made a weird noise. <laughs> this is hilarious. But now you're like, oh, okay. So yeah. Um, Aretha Franklin auditioned for the role of Motormouth Mabel, but lost out to Queen Latifah. <gasps> Fucking Aretha wow. Franklin. Wow. I love Queen Latifah, but they said no. To Aretha Franklin. Okay. Queen Latifah, I would honestly say, is a really underrated talent. Yeah. And that's saying something. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, everyone rates her. <laughs> I think Queen Latifah is so talented as an actress and a singer and a rapper as well. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, re- a wonderful talent that should be a household name. Yeah. Um, Aretha Franklin, <laughs> like, auditioned. I mean, Aretha Franklin is what the young people these days call the GOAT. Greatest uh, of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, like, auditioned? Yeah. You have Aretha Franklin. <laughs> you're Aretha Franklin, audition- just tell them you have like, a fucking role. Like, if you're not going <laughs> to hire Aretha Franklin... Then don't audition. You, you know her talent. You know what she's about. 
It's cool that she wanted it though. It is. It is really cool. But um, imagine how Queen Latifah must feel. Like they're basically saying she's better than Aretha Franklin. <laughs> well, for, yeah, for that particular role. Yeah. Uh, it took John Travolta four hours to put on the thirty-pound fat suit and five gel-filled silicone face prosthetics to become Edna Turnblad. Yeah. Yeah. Looks absolutely horrifying by it, modern day standards. Yes. But yeah. also glad they didn't try and CGI it. And no, no, what am I saying? No, it looks it looks awful. It, it looks doesn't so... look awful. <laughs> but it, it's very um, smooth. Yeah, I feel it like doesn't the look face natural. Is very, just... very smooth. Um, it does look quite unnatural now. <laughs> Um, I don't, I, I think nowadays, and I, I, we might as well discuss it now because we're talking about the fat yeah. suit. Nowadays, you wouldn't have a fat suit. Mm-hmm. You would have a wonderful singer who is pleasantly plump. Yeah. Play the role. A drag queen. Well, you'd have a drag queen. I mean, it's, you, it's, yeah. you know. Wouldn't, you'd wouldn't, have Eureka. You wouldn't necessarily have to. Yeah, you'd have Eureka. You'd have Ginger Minge. Yeah. I think Ginger Minge is probably the closest we've got to a divine style of drag queen. Yeah. Eureka tries to. Yeah. But, yeah. You know. I, I like them. I like them both. I like, you know, apart from the cancelled ones. I mean, I like all the drag queens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you watch Drag Race and, you know... I, Sometimes I'm like, I want everyone to win. Like, you know, I like being entertained, and I find them entertaining. But yeah, no, it should, it, nowadays it wouldn't be a fat suit. It wouldn't. It, it would. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. You know, you you, you would find a wonderfully talented, drag queen or mm-hmm. actress who was, plus size. Plus size, yeah. and they would play the role. You Absolutely. know. Penny Pingleton, speaking of drag, Penny Pingleton's dress in the You Can't Stop the Beat song was made from the curtains in her room, as an homage to The Sound of Music. Yes, I did notice that, actually, yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a good dress as well. Yeah. Um, her pigtails alone took two hours of preparation every morning. The fuck? Why? Perfect pigtails. Oh. It wasn't until halfway through production, in a bizarre series of events, um, and it wasn't until halfway through production that Michelle Pfeiffer realised that the character she plays is actually racist. She became worried about what people would think, but director Adam Shankman reassured her, Michelle, come on. Okay. (laughs) Come on, Michelle. We all understand you're an actress playing a role, and that doesn't make you racist. That's not even the bizarre takeaway. But... If you let me finish, the weird, what makes you sound a bit racist is you reading this script, <laughs> reading your dialogue, and not realising that you're playing a racist character. Yeah, that's very strange. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, if, if you're listening, um, which you're probably not, but if you are... That's what you have to be worried about. <laughs> not being an actress playing a racist character. It's the not realising that you're playing a racist yeah. character. There's no line of dialogue in this film that doesn't paint, you know, Velma von Tussle as a racist. Yeah. 
At least she must at least know she was playing the bad guy, though. Well, you'd think so. Yeah. Uh, less than a year after the release of the film, speaking of racism, Nikki Blonsky and her parents were arrested for racial assault. Yeah. Um, Massively very, ironic. Yeah, a, a very, <laughs> very unfortunate piece of irony there. Um, yeah, against, I guess, obviously, I have no idea, you know. Um, and then you told me about this trivia and, you know, I did a search. It was a America's uh, Next Top Model contestant and there was some issue um, at an airport. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, Nikki and her father were charged with assault. Yeah. Um, yeah, really shitty. Mm-hmm. This film had the best opening weekend ever for a movie musical until Mamma Mia, making nice. twenty seven point five million just in its opening weekend. Yeah, it's it's got all the key components of a successful mm-hmm. film. Zac Efron chose to star in this film rather than go on tour with the rest of the high school musical cast. Drew Seeley, who dubbed Efron singing in the first film, took Efron's place on the tour. Now, I have seen high school, being the uh, closeted gay boy I was back then, I have seen High School Musical The Concert, the live DVD. God. It is awkward as fuck. <laughs> Because of Zac Efron's Because of Zac Efron's uh, absence. Like, <laughs> this new guy has absolutely no chemistry with anybody in the cast. And he just looks so weird to just have this random whilst the rest of the cast are all there. <laughs> Did they have much chemistry in the first film? Did you see the opening karaoke scene? Shut up. According to the producer's commentary, the hairspray in the ultra clutch cans were actually deodorant. Uh, out of many possibilities, it was the only thing that would catch the light and show up on camera uh, the way they wanted it to. Oh. Just in case you ever wanted your hair to shine, do some deodorant. Meryl Streep and Madonna were considered... No, I, th- I think they mean when it's sprayed. Oh. So they're not actually using deodorant in the hair? Well, I mean, technically, <laughs> but you know the, when yeah, the I emphasis is on how much is around, uh-huh. like hairspray doesn't actually do that. Meryl Streep and Madonna were considered for the role of Valma Von Tussle. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, it absolutely would have worked. Meryl Streep. Madonna? Madonna it would have worked, I think. Yes. Uh, Hairspray was directed by Adam Shankman, who also choreographed the iconic, one of the greatest episodes of TV ever, the musical episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Once More with Feeling. Nice. Yeah. Well done, that man. You don't get much better than that. Hayden Panettiere was considered for the role of Amber Von Tussle. That would have worked. Yeah, Billy Crystal. I'm assuming so, I've never heard her sing. No. But she's in that Nashville show, isn't mm-hmm. she? So she, she must be able to sing. Billy Crystal and Jim Broadbent were both considered for the role of Wilbur. That would have worked. Particularly Jim Broadbent, I mm-hmm. feel. Yeah. Uh, Steve Martin, Robin Williams and Tom Hanks were considered for the role of Edna. Okay. I mean, Robin Williams would have just been doing Mrs. Doubtfire again. I think to a certain degree. Yeah. yeah. Um, Tom Hanks in that fat suit may have been more terrifying than John Travolta. I can... <laughs> As Tom Hanks... I feel like Tom Hanks has done a drag roll on... A drag roll. 
I, I sound like the mass singer. <laughs> um, guessing. Is it a drag act? Um, I feel like he's done a drag in film. Maybe. I don't know. Steve Martin would have worked, I think. Yeah. I think Steve Martin would have worked for Wilbur. Yeah, that's true. Actually. Uh, and finally, this is the second time Michelle Pfeiffer has taken over a Debbie Harry role. Ooh. Harry was Valma von Tussle in the original 1988 movie. The first time, Harry was set to play Stephanie in Grease 2, but backed <gasps> out. Oh, oh, come on, Debbie Harry. Can I say something to do with that? Yeah. And I, I understand the reputation that Grease has. But by 1982... Mm-hmm. I feel like Debbie Harry would have been a bit too old to play a high school oh, student. How dare you? Never too old. Debbie Harry doesn't age. Well, a little bit. Yeah. I now. Just... But in the 80s, she looked the exact same she did in the 70s. Yeah, but she, she was obviously a real beauty, mm-hmm. of course. You know, always has been and always will be. But she had a rough edge to her. Mm-hmm. Um... That always made her look a little older than she was. Yeah. Um, are you searching Demi <laughs> Harry 1982 so you can no, I'm, I'm decide at their ages. if she looks? Okay, so Michelle Pfeiffer is 64 years old and Debbie Harry is 76 years old. Myself. Yeah, there's 12 years between them. And what year was Grease 2 released? 1982? 1982. Okay. Oh, she absolutely looks young enough to... Uh... And for those who can't see what we're talking about, it's just Debbie Harry slaying. It's 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 Debbie Harry looking gorgeous in nineteen eighty two. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> now that we've um, but then she was playing someone's mum in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. True. Well, she was putting cigarettes out on her boobs in the eighties as well. But anyway, are we going through Debbie Harry's filmography yeah. now? That's an episode for a future, definitely. Uh, so. Hairspray, 1988. Hairspray, 1988. Finally there, after all this time. <laughs> in Baltimore, Maryland, in the year 1962... Uh, true? True. <laughs> that is true, it is. It's, it's, I'm just being honest. Tracy Turnblad and her best friend, Penny Pingleton, are obsessed with the Corny Collins Show, a popular Baltimore teenage dance show based on the real-life Buddy Dean show. And they dream of becoming one of the show's resident teen dancers. We begin the film being introduced to the cast of the Corny Collins show as the theme plays. What a great theme. It is. Um, it is on the, now that's what I call Horror Court Treasure of a Playlist on Spotify. Yes. Your uh, every now and then reminder to check it out. Yes. Yeah, I, I forget sometimes that that exists, so it's nice for me The to bangers watch. are building up. They are, actually. They are. Um, lots of hairspray being used, unsurprisingly. Bit of bra stuffing too, and a lot of flirting, yes. um, and they are what you would assume to be the cool kids of nineteen sixty-two. Yeah. Uh, we're also introduced to Edna, Tracy's mother, obviously played by Divine. Um, iconic role for Divine. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, smaller role, not as glamorous. As the yeah. usual. You'd assume she's in it more for how iconic the role beco- has, yeah. has become over the years. Um, iconic line as well. Could you turn that racket down? I'm trying to iron in here. <laughs> iron in here. I can't I can't do it. I cannot. 
Um, Tracy and Penny are watching the Co- Corny Collins show, uh, and they have a real issue with Amber Von Tussle. Yeah, she's such a queer. Girlf- girlfriend of resident heartfrog <laughs> Link Larkin. They call her a queer, and also an ableist slur as well. Yeah. Um, kind of, they don't know her at this point. It's a weird aspect of both films where um, Tracy and Penny have this hate. It's more apparent in this one, but they have a real hatred for Amber before even knowing Amber. Mm. Yeah, it's then giving you uh, polyester with uh, Edith Massey and... Uh, Mink Stoll, where she doesn't know her. She just knows she's having an affair with Diane's husband. She's like, oh, she looks like a yeah, dog. To a century. I suppose, actually, they go to the same school, don't uh-huh. they? So maybe there's a history there. Yeah. But it, it's kind of, it's a bit jarring to see, you know, these are our two main characters. Yeah. These are the heart of the film. And they're calling her a queer. <laughs> this girl, that we, you know, like, oh, what's the relationship? She's just calling this girl on TV a queer. <laughs> and an ableist slur. Okay, calm down, Tracy. Um, the teens on the show are all very false. Yeah. With huge hair. Um, Tracy is read by Edna for her hair being all ratted up like mm-hmm. a teenage Jezebel. <laughs> I love the dialogue. In it. I do love the dialogue in this film. Um, this is how I assume people talked in 1962. I don't know for a fact, obviously. It's gone through the... Uh, film ringer and you know mm-hmm. but um I, this is how i hope people talked like uh teenage jezebel uh her defense is that jackie kennedy is the same hair too uh, has the same hairdo but it didn't quite cut it with edna does it no amber returns home from filming the show and she's horrified that she has a pimple uh her mother velma played by debbie harry uh is a lot She's a lot. (laughs) And uh, she berates Amber for not stealing the spotlight and uh, requesting a song by a black artist and not Connie Francis. Um, This is a moment that's very John Waters Mm -hmm. when we get Velma squeezing Amber's spot. Yeah. Um, So Amber lies down on on the bed. Uh, Velma puts on her gloves, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. And she gives that pimple squeeze. I'm like, that's John Waters, definitely. Um, that night at the dance contest, Tracy manages to impress and she wins the contest with her partner, Fender, and is invited to audition for the show. Um, Amber calls Tracy a fatso and a whore. Um, so, oh, okay, so maybe, uh, maybe Tracy was justified <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> Or maybe she heard what she said earlier. <laughs> uh, Tracy and Fender make out to a Gene Pitney song. Um, yeah. Just making out with Fender. Yeah. Just just met that evening. Yeah. Making out after winning the contest. Um, I'm not one to judge, you know. I'd, I'd hate to uh, slut shame anyone, but it's quite quick, especially for 1962. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, at the Corny Collins show auditions, Penny nervously stumbles over her answers and another girl, Nadine Carver, is cut for being black. Uh, the show has a specific day for African-American dancers on the last Thursday of every month. Um, 
if Tracy has to win a contest to audition for the show, what did Penny do? <laughs> She's got an audition. Yeah. <laughs> Skinny white girl. Do a solo. Uh, um, yeah. I suppose, what's, um, what, what was the quote? Was it Naomi Smalls? For the all stars, when they were like, "Oh, what what do you think is the key to winning, uh, Drag Race?" and she said, "Uh, being skinny and blonde, <laughs> white white skinny and blonde." This is very much the case here. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Judging panel includes the iconic Mink Stole. Yes. Yeah. A very subdued role for Mink Stole. Mm-hmm. Um. She's not a huge character. But she has been in every one of John Waters' feature length yes. films. Um, always wonderful actress, lover. Um, still giving me Lady Gaga <laughs> to a certain degree. Um, she really gave Lady Gaga in polyester. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, Amber and Tracy continue to read each other. Um, Tracy's very proud that she doesn't suffer from acne. <laughs> Like others do, and gives uh, Amber a glance. Amber tells Tracy that the show's not filmed in Cinemascope. <laughs> um, which is a very, very funny read. I'm not being... As, as, two, two, uh, as a man who's um, larger himself, um, I'm allowed to laugh at that. Because that is funny. That's a funny read. Uh, <laughs> However, despite being plus size and admitting she would swim in an integrated pool, Tracy is a beautiful and strong enough dancer to become a regular on the show, infuriating Amber, especially when Tracy chooses to dance with Link during Lady's Choice. Um, yeah, she um, she ditches Fender quite quick. She don't does. She? Again, I'm you know I'm not I'm not slut shaming, but um, yeah, she's making out with him and then. Dumps him pretty quickly for uh, for Link. Uh, Tracy's growing confidence leads to her being hired as a plus-size model for the Hefty Hideaway clothing store owned by Mr. Pinky. She's also inspired to bleach, tease and rat her big hair into styles popular in the 1960s. Um, she's big, blonde and beautiful. She is. <laughs> At school, a geometry teacher brands her hairdo a hair don't and sends her to the principal's office, from which Tracy is sent to special education classes. There, she befriends black classmates sent there to hold them back academically. Um, yeah, this is... There's moments in the film where the sort of black experience in 1962 is touched on. Mm-hmm. You know, the... Um, Nadine Carver not being allowed to audition yeah, to be, you know, one of the regulars. And then this, Tracy says, you know, these special, ed- special education classes are for black students that they're deliberately keeping behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels, you kind of think, oh, that, that seems, well, that sounds a bit far-fetched. It's not. It's it real and it really happened. Yes, yeah. you know, and it makes you think, and it it's it's 
it's one of those films where you are entertained and it is funny and it's, it is camp. But there are those moments where you sit there and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, this, this is what this is. Yeah. You know, this is, and historically speaking, very accurate. Mm-hmm. But like this, this is, okay, this is a moment to process. Yeah. And to think about what the film is saying. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, uh, <laughs> another iconic scene is how this leads to uh, her being sent to special education classes because her hair is too big and a student behind her can't see the blackboard. <laughs> uh, Amber starts spreading a rumour that Tracy was found naked in a car after the dance contest. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't it also muck them for their uh, PE outfits, even though it's the exact same? Exactly the same, yeah. Yeah. Um, She knocks Tracy out during dodgeball, but upon her recovery, Tracy agrees to go steady with Link. Um, Yeah, he's a, you know, he moves on quickly as well, doesn't he, old Link? He was Amber's fella, beau, as they say. Uh, the students introduce Tracy to Motormouth Maybell, an R&B record shop owner and host of the monthly African-American-specific program on the Corny Collins Show. They teach Tracy, Penny and Link dance moves such as The Bird and The Dirty Boogie, and Penny begins an interracial romance with Motormouth Maybell's son, Seaweed. Um, yeah, Motormouth Maybell played... Oh, Ruth Brown. Discuss- Ruth Brown. Yeah. Um, who was more known as a singer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I felt like Aretha Franklin could have done the role oh, in 1988. Yeah. And she probably didn't do it and kind of regretted it. Mm-hmm. And then when the chance came along to, to play, because it's very much an Aretha Franklin type, yeah. isn't it, role. Um, we're also introduced to Seaweed's younger sister, Little Inez, a big fan of Tracy's and a fine dancer herself. Penny's mother, Prudence, giving full racist Karen energy, makes a scene and takes her home. Doesn't she? She does. Um, and this this is very John Waters. It's completely overacting. It's so completely funny. over the top. She So this Prudence, she's gone into um, an area of town... Um, that's predominantly African-American mm-hmm. and she's acting like she's at war. She's acting <laughs> like this. <laughs> everyone is like, oh, no. <laughs> it, it is very John Waters. Yeah. Very over the top, very melodramatic. Um, clearly she is the butt of the joke for it. Um, great. A, a great scene and greatly mm-hmm. acted. I don't know who the actress is. She doesn't know. Well, I, I, I do. I just, I'm not very great with names. I do apologise. Um, at the Courtney Collins pre-teen show, Seaweed and Lil Inez are turned away at the door. Joined by Penny, Tracy and Link, they begin to stage a protest calling for integration that's quickly dispersed by the police. This does start a conversation, though, with Courtney Collins and the station manager, played by Divine Out of Drag, who proclaims that Baltimore isn't ready for integrated dancing. Um, at a dance organised by Motorbelf Maybell, we get a performance from Toussaint McCall as Seaweed and Penny and Tracy and Link have a make-out session. Um, Toussaint McCall was a singer. 
Uh-huh. Uh, famous in, in, in the early 60s. Yeah. Playing himself, though, but he's very visibly in his 50s. Yeah. Uh, playing himself when he would have been in his 20s. Yeah. A fantastic singer. We get a great performance from it. It's nice um, because... The film's not really a musical. There's mm-hmm. lots of scenes with dancing to popular records from 1960s. Yeah. From 1962. But it was great to see a live singing performance from Toussaint McCall. Um, and no matter how it, it, it sort of came across. It's, it's funny, really. It's a yeah. funny anecdote rather than, oh, my God, why is he playing you know, himself in his, when he's in his 50s? Um, in a rather clunky bit of dialogue... Although I feel that that's the joke. Mm-hmm. Link suggests that although their skin is white, his and Tracy's souls are black. <laughs> I feel like that's the joke. Yeah. Um, very clunky. <laughs> um, but his heart's in the right place, bless him. Edna and Wilbur turn up and the two couples flee. They end up in the home of two beatniks one played by Pia Zadora, who suggests that they get naked and get high. (laughs) They also call Penny a checkerboard chick and make fun of Tracy's big hair. Apparently, ironing your hair is much cooler. Um, Penny's horrified mother and her father, Paddy, imprison her in her bedroom and hire quack psychiatrist Dr. Fredrickson, played by John Waters himself, to brainwash her into dating white boys and opposing integration. He's so good in this role. He's so good, so funny. And very John Waters, very, very much so. Um, At Tilted Acres, the segregated amusement park owned by Velma and Franklin Von Tussle, the Corny Collins is being filmed live. So Franklin Von Tussle played by Sonny Bono. Yeah. Um, who was mayor of Palm Springs at the time. Wow. Yeah. Um, a fact, I feel like a real running joke in The Golden Girls um, was that Sonny Bono was the mayor of Palm he Springs. He did get a lot of mentions. He was a lot of mentions. <laughs> <laughs> I think I knew him as the mayor of Palm Springs before I realised who he really was. <laughs> but, oh, he was married to Cher. I just thought he was mayor of Palm Springs. Uh, uh, Tracy is winning the popular vote so Amber suggests that she has roaches in her hair Motobuff Maybell leads a protest outside calling for integration which eventually descends into violence with Link being hurt and Tracy being arrested on TV Link proclaims his love for Tracy and Maybell proclaims Tracy's innocence as Tracy sports a new flatter hairdo I don't know where I don't know if she, her hair got her hair got ironed in prison, <laughs> I don't really understand. Wait, is the hair ironing scene? Is that in the remake? Um. Yeah. Why no? Both times her hair suddenly becomes flat. But in one of the films, you see her actually ironing her hair. Do we? Yeah. I don't think. In prison, I think. Yeah, I think it's the original. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I must have looked away at that point. Sorry. Um, seaweed helps Penny break out of the house and run away, and is it implied that her parents have disowned her? At the Miss Auto Show 1963 pageant, the protest for integration and Tracy's innocence continue, and Maybell handcuffs herself with Lil Inez to the governor of Maryland. 
The Von Tussles plot to sabotage the Miss Auto show pageant with a bomb hidden in Velma's towering bouffant wig. <laughs> High camp. Yeah. Derry Harry with a bomb inside a huge <laughs> wig. And the wig looks a little like the FA Cup. Uh, High camp. Whoa, that's a fucking straight reference. Yeah. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> let's not. Let's not be those people. Football and sport very much for gay people. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Amber is proclaimed the winner instead because uh, oh, I missed. Uh, because Tracy is disqualified for being in reform school. Amber is proclaimed the winner instead and dances to the roach in Tracy's honor. After the governor of Maryland pardons her, though. Tracy then comes to the pageant, integrates the Corny Collins show, and encourages everyone to dance in celebration whilst wearing an iconic roach dress. The Von Tussle's plan literally backfires when the bomb detonates prematurely and the Von Tussle's are captured by the Baltimore police for their hate crimes. And that is Hairspray. Yeah. Um, not sure if I did it justice. There's a lot of you know, fantastic dance numbers, uh, music scenes. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, with some wonderful pop and R&B music mm-hmm. from uh, the early 60s. Yeah. Oh, um, yes. Fantastic soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. I was listening to it today. Um, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. John Waters at his best. It, it, Flawless John Waters. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll get more into it when we compare <laughs> the two. I think, I think, I think it's it's worth waiting till the comparison. Well, that brings me to two thousand and seven's hairspray. Uh, we start in nineteen sixty two, where Tracy Turnblad is a sixteen year old heavy set high school student living in Baltimore. We start with the Good Morning Baltimore song. Um, very Ronettes, very you know. 50s, 60s doo-wop, immediately the soundtrack, you know, is going for the same uh-huh. sort of vibe as the original soundtrack. Uh, we get John Waters playing the flasher who lives next door. We do. Tracy misses the school bus, so rides on a garbage truck to school while singing. Um, very John Waters imagery. It right is. There. You can tell, because obviously these songs are taken directly from the musical. Yeah. You can tell that the songwriters are fans of John Waters. Yeah. You know, and it's it's not necessarily taken from the original film, but something like having a flasher in town uh-huh. is, you know, a direct reference to... Pink Flamingos. Pink Flamingos, yeah. you know, and it's that kind of humour. Um, the two pregnant ladies drinking martinis yeah. and smoking... Um, all that is very John Waters, very yeah. much so. Along with her best friend Penny Pingleton, Tracy frequently watches the Corny Collins show, a local teen dance television show, and it's where we get the nicest kids in town musical number. The teenagers who dance on the show attend Tracy and Penny's high school. Amongst them are Amber Von Tussle and her boyfriend Link Larkin, the lead dancers. Uh, Amber's mother, Valma, manages the station, uh, WYZT, Ensuring that Amber is uh, prominently featured. And this is when we get the Legend of Miss Baltimore Crabs musical number. In which we get to see Michelle Pfeiffer slaying in a pageant outfit. Yes. 
yeah, she may not know how to um, figure out if a character she's playing is racist or not, but what she can do is perform yes. a song and look absolutely stunning. Um, do you want to hear a little secret? What? That's my favourite song from the song. Okay. Yeah, from the musical, that's my favourite. Uh, Courtney Collins and the dancers on the show are white and Valma only allows African-American dancers on the show once a month for a specific African-American day hosted by R&B disc jockey Motormouth Maybell. Uh, one day, one of the dancers on the show takes a leave of absence and auditions for a replacement at Hell the next day. Tracy attends, but Valma rejects her for her overweight physique and for supporting integration. Tracy is given detention for missing class in order to attend the audition and discovers the African-American kids practicing in the detention room. Tracy befriends Seaweed, Motormouth Maybell's son, uh, who teaches Tracy several dance moves. As Tracy leaves detention, she inadvertently meets Link and dreams of a life with him. Uh, this is where we get I Can Hear the Bells musical number, which includes a great not to female trouble. Um, when there's a scene with three girls smoking in the girls' toilets and they're all dressed and got their hair exactly like the uh, female trouble characters. Absolutely. Uh, at a record hop, Tracy's new moves garner Corny's attention and he chooses her to join the show. This is the Ladies' Choice musical number. Yes, so this is the one that was on all the music channels. Yeah. So this course. was like the, the main one. Was it not You Can't Stop the Beat? No, it was oh. Ladies' Choice. It was always on. It was like Zac Efron, Ladies' Choice. was all on the music channel, the MTV. The MTV. The MTVs. If you remember, back in the day. <laughs> um, Tracy quickly becomes one of Corny's most popular performers, affecting Amber's chances of winning the show's annual Miss Teenage Hairspray pageant and her relationship with Link as he grows fonder of Tracy. We get the New Girl in Town moves Conumba, my favourite song from the film, um, both during the Britney Snow half and the Dynamite's half, both halves are uh, amazing, high camp, so 60s, like they absolutely nail the aesthetic and everything, and the song is, it's just amazing. It's a great song, and it's interesting to see it from two yeah. different sides. So the, the white girls and the African-American girls singing the same song yeah. in two very different styles. Um, do you have what was said afterwards? No. So um, Velma has a go at Mobile for Maybell for saying, you know, why did they pick the same song to sing? And mm-hmm. Mobile for Maybell, they wrote the song. Yeah. <laughs> very much... <laughs> Um, very valid commentary on on white people stealing from black music. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you you have it, at, you know, in the first film as well. The idea that these teens are dancing to music by black artists, mm-hmm. but you know the black teenagers aren't allowed to dance. Yeah. To these songs. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, you're you're able to take from this culture, but you're not you're not integrating with the culture. Exactly. You know, it's it's hypocritical. Yeah, it, it's honestly something that's even worth doing research into because it's there's a good chance out of your five favorite bands or artists, at least three of them are going to be 
taken music from Black Origin. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, some of the, the biggest artists of all time, until you actually look into it, it's... It, it's ridiculous. It's 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 all about influence and and giving. Yeah. You know, yeah, you, you have to give props to what came before. Oh you. yeah, definitely. We're at this point now where a lot of things aren't fully original. Mm-hmm. You know, and there are many many aspects of modern music that originated from black artists. Yeah. You know, um, and you know you have to give credit where it's due. At all times, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you're... Yeah, you understand what I mean. I know. Yeah. Mr. Pinky, played by Jerry Stiller, um, suggests that... Who was in the original? Suggests that Tracy should be the spokesgirl for his hefty hideaway boutique. Tracy persuades uh, her mother, Edna, to accompany her to the boutique as her agent. We get the Welcome to the 60s musical number. We do. I like this one. Yeah. I, I like how they've taken dialogue from the original film and incorporated yes. yeah. it into mm-hmm. either the songs themselves or the title of the song. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the case of Miss Baltimore Crabs. Um, there's, you know, the, the, the show's not filmed in Cinemascope. Becomes mm-hmm. a line in the song. And I, I do like that. Yeah. Tracy introduces Seaweed to Penny, and the two become smitten. We get the run and tell that musical number. Love that song. I actually, I really, really love that song. Uh-huh. That's probably my second favourite. Uh, later, Seaweed and his younger sister, little Inez, take Tracy, Penny and Link to a party at Maybell's store. <laughs> and we now get... <laughs> the iconic... The iconic Holly Jervis song, <laughs> Big, Blonde and Beautiful. So, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know why me and Gary are laughing, um, Holly Jervis was a contestant, uh, well, was an auditionee on The X Factor UK and weirdly decided to sing Big, Blonde and Beautiful. Um... She was a decent singer, but had a very large mouth and used every centimetre of that mouth to sing. (laughs) Um, And it's kind of taken on a life of its own now, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, YouTube it. It is hilarious, it's, it's but it's terrible. also ruined a great song yeah, it's, from the Hairspray soundtrack. It's terrible, I forgot what the original version sounded like. <laughs> yeah. I remember the Holly Jervis version. Um, take specs off. <laughs> Ed- <Four> knows. <laughs> Edna finds Tracy there and tries taking her home, but Maybelle convinces her to stay and tells her to take pride in herself, because she looks like the whole parade. Whereas Holly Jervis told the judges they look like the whole parade. Judges, you look like the whole parade. <laughs> At the party, Maybell informs Queen everyone... Queen that... could never. <laughs> uh, informs everyone... Oh, my God. If Holly Jervis got through to the X Factor finals, she eventually would have brought Queen Latifah out with her. To she brought out Aretha Franklin. John Travolta. Oh, God. <laughs> the three of them just... Uh, yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> 
Yeah, the party uh, Maybell informs everyone that Valma has cancelled the African American Day, and Tracy suggests that they march for integration. Link is unwilling to jeopardise his career by marching, straining his relationship with Tracy. Odd choice. Really odd choice for this character. Um, I mean, I, mean, I lost some respect for him. Yeah, um, I, I feel like... It, it was setting up it, the whole, I've got to sing a song about getting her back scene. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the weirdest choice is suggesting that Tracy thinks they should march mm. for integration. Um, it's, for me, the, my biggest bugbear with the film is that Tracy is the one, oh, well, maybe we should march for integration. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, Motobuff Maybell should be saying yeah. that. She, yeah. You know, it was Motobuff Maybell in the original. You you weren't part, of, mm-hmm. you know, you joined in, but it wasn't your idea. And it, it, it is, it's the white saviour part of the yeah. film um, that I struggle with. Yeah, it's even worse watching it knowing what she's like in real life. Yes. Uh, Edna returns to her husband Wilbur's shop, but Valma gets there first for a little Batman Returns reunion between Michelle Pfeiffer and Christopher Walken <laughs> and uh, tries to seduce him. Christopher Walken, fucking terrified in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm like, Do you know what? Even though I knew what I was coming here for, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> he... Yeah. Because he's very Christopher Walken and because of the way he talks and everything, when he's going around the joke shop, he looks like he's about to fucking murder her. <laughs> he does, but he also kind of looks lost. He does. Throughout the film. <laughs> kind of like, he doesn't really know why he's there. <laughs> like, not not necessarily in his acting, but his face. Yeah. Always kind of looks like... Why am I in this room? You know, why am I here? Who is you know? Well, they were both cast because John Travolta wanted them in the film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, after accusing Wilbur of infidelity, John Travolta was he the most famous person in this film? God, I suppose no. so. Not Zac Efron been more famous than John Travolta. No, at this no, point, no. And yeah, to the teeny boppers. And who's going to go and watch the film? I'm talking about actual household names. I mean, it was a big deal that John Travolta bravely took on this role. <laughs> <laughs> he did win an award um, by the, uh, I think it's the Women's Critics' Choice Award, somewhere along those lines, forgive me if uh, I'm wrong. Um, Women's Critics Foundation, something along those lines, uh, for the uh, most offensive male portrayal of a woman because men always have to portray women to be absolutely grotesque um which kind of it's harsh it's harsh because i mean what's he saying because someone's bigger they're grotesque um but you know and obviously basing it off divine's character as well but also i mean the fat suit is terrifying i'll just reinforce that it's It's not it's not necessarily (laughs) the fat suit it's the it's the face. It's the face. It's his facial it's the, expressions. The feminizing yeah. of the face. It just it for me it looks too smooth. Yeah. You know it doesn't look like a real person because a real woman. Who had been you know, an agrophobic, mm-hmm. been in her 
apartment for 10 years, 10, 15 years, you know, wouldn't look like she's had mm-hmm. a dose of Botox. It doesn't look like she's had fillers. Mm-hmm. You know, particularly 1962. Yeah. I mean, there's not a wrinkle on the face. There's nothing. <laughs> Whereas, D- obviously, Divine, you know, looked real. Yeah. <laughs> looked like, mm-hmm. you know, Divine looked like a man in a wig, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. and, and a bit of makeup. Whereas this has tried too hard to, yeah. I feel, feminise the character. Well, after accusing Wilbur of infidelity, Edna forbids Tracy to be on the show, but quickly changes her mind after she and Wilbur reconcile. Uh, your timeless to me, musical number. My least favourite song. Honestly, the, this is bizarre imagery, seeing John Travolta and Christopher Walken do this. It's a weird one, and I, 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 don't, I don't think it's necessarily... I don't think the film is necessarily to blame. But it does kind of feel like the joke is, oh my God, look at Christopher Walken dancing with John Travolta. Mm -hmm. Because of the choice of casting, it's always going to be funny because of that. Mm -hmm. Rather than a touching moment with moments of... uh, A touching scene with moments of Mm humour. It's kind And then at the end, they don't kiss. Mm -hmm. It's insinuated they're going to kiss, but they don't. And it's a bit like, well, okay, how gay are you willing to go? Yeah. You know? And then it, that becomes the joke. Um, yeah. I, I, I like the song itself, but I, I'm not a huge fan of the scene. Mm-hmm. Because of that, it it just, it, it kind of just feels like, oh, you know, oh my God, this is Christopher Walken and John Travolta dancing mm-hmm. together and being romantic. <laughs> Yeah. The next morning, Tracy sneaks out of the house to join the protest, which is halted by a police roadblock. We get I Know Where I've Been, musical number. Yeah, fantastic. Queen Latifah is a wonderful talent. She can sing Mm -hmm. so well, and she sings the hell out of this song. Love it. Was this the one that was written for the film? Uh, Maybe. Yeah, really... It it feels a little schmaltzy. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, my issue is that Tracy is the only white person involved in it. Yeah, she she absolutely has white saviour. It's it's energy. definitely it because it's, you know, Tracy is oh why why don't we you know march for integration, and then, she's the only white person mm. and she's at, the forefront. She's at the front. Of it all, and it just, it, it, yeah, it feels very white saviory. Yeah. Um, the protesters engage in a brawl whilst Tracy returns to the Pingleton's home where Penny allows her to hide in a fallout shelter. However, Penny's mother, Prudy, reports Tracy to the police and ties her daughter to uh, her bed for harbouring a fugitive. Um, not quite as extreme as the original. <laughs> where she gets disowned. Um... Oh no, she, she gets has like, like a bar, yeah, bars gets, on her she door. Does, she gets shocked by John Waters, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah. Having been bailed out by Wilbur, Seaweed and his friends uh, help Tracy and Penny escape. Link visits Tracy's house to find her and realises that he loves her. We get the Without Love musical number. Yeah, I like Without Love, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good song. Um, Seaweed and Penny also acknowledge their love during the escape. 
With the pageant underway, Valma assigns police officers to guard the WYZT studio to prevent Tracy from entering. Uh, get its hairspray, musical number. Uh huh. Yeah, it's good. It is. It's a bit weird, like the advertising hairspray mm-hmm. and Corny Collins is. Oh, hairspray is wonderful. There's nothing as wonderful as hairspray apart from me. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> hey, he's Corny Collins. He's yeah, corny. He is very, very corny. Uh, she also rigs the pageant uh, tallies to guarantee that Amber will win. Penny arrives at the pageant with Edna whilst Wilbur, Seaweed and the African-American kids help Tracy infiltrate the studio. Um, yeah. Christopher Walken in drag. Let's talk about that. <laughs> Yeah, I understand. I understand. In a bizarre series of events. Very bizarre. <laughs> but I, I understand he's... There's a girl that they think looks like Tracy earlier on. <laughs> and they like, no, it's not her. But Christopher Walken dressed as Tracy. <laughs> they, Again. <laughs> they have to like do a double check off. Again, they he, he doesn't look like he knows where he is. He looks, he looks bewildered. So confused. <laughs> I think I love Christopher Walken in this film. I, I... It's camp. It's camp. I feel like he was just put there. Like yeah. they didn't even tell him he was acting. He's literally. <laughs> they may not even have paid him. He's just. He just turned. John Travolta said, "Can you do this? Yeah, thanks." <laughs> I don't even know where I am. Someone get me another joint. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, I don't know where I am. I can't do it. Um, you can't... That wasn't that... No. It was... Yeah. You can't know where I am. No, that was awful. That was bad. Hey, the King of New York. Here. Stop it. Uh, we get You Can't Stop the Beat. This is the one I remember being the most popular. Yeah. Um, may have charted? You think? Yeah, I think Lady's a... Choice charted. So basically, whichever songs had the most Zac Efron. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, You Can't Stop to Breathe, as the yeah. they, they called it on set. Um, I love this song. It's such a feel-good song. Yeah. Um, it's a real feel-good moment for the film. It's the We're All In This Together of Hairspray. Yes. Yes. Uh, Remembering that the musical came out yes. way before high school. What wasn't you can't stop the beat written for the film? No, no. Okay. Link breaks away from Amber to dance with Tracy. Later, he pulls little Inez to the stage to dance in the pageant. Amber's attempt to reclaim her championship crown fails. Little Inez wins the pageant after a late surge of support, successfully integrating the Corny Collins show. Valma tells Amber about her rigging scheme uh, in front of a cameraman by Edna, resulting in her being fired, and the Courtney Collins show uh, sets... Sounds like it's a Courtney Collins show. The Courtney Collins show set turns into celebration as Tracy and Link kiss. Okay, so Lil Inez winning... Bit forced, isn't it? <laughs> it's it, it, for me. It felt really forced. It's obviously the difference between the first film and the uh, remake. It's a real feel good moment. I understand that. Mm-hmm. It's 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 nice, um, but it feels very forced, and yeah. it, it kind of it kind of gives the idea that racism is. Cured, you know, cured. Racism is over. Because, you know, even to this day, you know, people voted for Brexit. 
Mm-hmm. People, it wasn't a huge margin, but people voted for Brexit. And I know that's a weird analogy, um, but it's not... Oh, yeah, no, no. As racist as, yeah. you know, the people were, there were, in 1962, there would be loads of people who were just as racist yeah. at home who yeah, would never yeah. have voted for Lil Inez. It's true. And I just, it, I think it just gives a little bit of a false narrative of it's, the time. Yeah, especially with Michelle Pfeiffer being the last standing racist as well. Yeah. Um, whereas in the original, you know, the racists were racists, and that's it. There was... Just, you know... Yeah. So um, in the original, the protest scene has an opposition... Yeah. ...that wasn't just the police mm-hmm. and Velma von Tussle. There was an opposition of very normal, everyday people... Yeah. ...who would come out to, you know, cause ag- aggro mm-hmm. for the protesters. Yeah. And... Had a, a counter protest. Yeah. I'm not sure what the word is. You don't see that in this version, in, in the remake. You don't see how the everyday people, the, you know, Karens, mm-hmm. and is it Steve's? I don't, I don't, know, what a male, Steve's. don't know what a male Karen's called. Uh, but the, the, you know, those kind of people had come out to protest the protest. Yeah, yeah. And I just it just gives a little bit it it ends up being a bit schmaltzy and mm. and I'm ha- and with the um, Tracy Turnblad, you know, white savior yeah. part as well. It just like Ugh. yeah. I mean, great film overall. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was really so much remake. fun. It's so much fun, and you know, it it it's still a feel good film that conveys the message. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that brings us on to our little awards rounds, including cinematography, fashion and hair, comedy and soundtrack. Because we can't really compare scares in these films. Uh, no, no, that's true. Uh, 1988, great cinematography. Uh, cinematography, Great cinematography. Great cinematography. Um, really, really beautiful to look at. It's bright, captures a camp, upbeat tone of the film. Yeah, it just looks amazing. Yeah, it does. It does. Um, it gets the 1962 aesthetic right mm-hmm. um, on a small budget. Yeah. yeah it's not the biggest budget mm-hmm. in the world, um, but it does it well. It really does. Yeah, the hair and costume designs are phenomenal. They are. They are. They all look so good. Yeah, wonderful. That is something that's consistent through John Waters' yeah. um, films. Is just the um, attention to detail as well is great. And for the comedic elements, it's hilarious. Yeah. Really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got that thing that's John Waters humour. Uh, scaled back for the PG rating, which is arguably even funnier in places. Because you know where it would have been if it wasn't a PG. Yeah, yeah. And it's got a great sense of visual humour, yeah. John Waters does as, as well. And, of course, the soundtrack is just classic John Waters doo-wop jukebox soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's definite running theme for a lot of his films is the the music he loved as a child. Yeah. Uh, The doo-wop, the R&B, the um, pop music of the 60s, 
you know, um, Pink Flamingos features a lot of them yeah. as well. And it's definitely a reference point. Um, really, really great use of it in Hairspray. Really wonderful. Yeah. And great songs. Um, a lot about food. Yeah. Um, a lot of very weird titled songs. Uh, I think there's one... One called Mashed Potato Time, and then the other one is I Want Gravy with My Mashed Potatoes. <laughs> very strange. And then, like, Roaches is an actual yeah. song. It's like, oh, well. Uh, the 2007 film, um, again, you know, great cinematography. Can't really fault it. Really captures what the original set out to do. Yeah, you can absolutely tell that it's got a bigger budget. Yes. Um, everything looks a lot cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, even the dirty parts yeah. look a lot cleaner. Yeah. It's all a lot brighter. Um, you know, it captures the light. There's attention to detail, like mm-hmm. you said, with the trivia, with the deodorant instead of hairspray. Yeah. Um, it's a really well-made film. Really well-made. Yeah. The hair's fantastic yeah costumes are mostly great except for that matching pink sequin dress combo uh during welcome to the 60s <laughs> that's a choice a choice we all make choices that was a choice um but yeah, i mean i mean it's in keeping with the fashion yeah. um but yeah it, it's yeah i'm not my favorite of the outfits no um but yeah very much does what the original does keeps to the 60s aesthetic yeah really well um the cost the costumes and hair are mm-hmm. fantastic they really are they're really well made the style might not always be there but they're really really well made it's funny not as funny as the original but funny yeah it is funny i found that i laughed at the same jokes that were in the original yeah. film yeah and also the references to john waters yes. yeah um so yeah, no, it is good, and the songs are funny as well. There, yeah, there are yeah. there are moments in the songs that mm-hmm. are funny, you know. Lyrics, yeah, that made me chuckle, you know. Uh, soundtrack is incredible. Yeah, it it really is. Um, this film works so well as a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes sense. It, it you know. Obviously, many films have been turned into musicals in the past and such. Um, Matilda's being turned into a musical this year. Uh, of course, it's usually on stage and successfully shows. Successfully as well. Yeah. Um, by all accounts, with the stage show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and sometimes you have to ask yourself whether something would work as a musical, but this really does. Especially yeah. with, like you said earlier, you know, turning lines of dialogue from the original film into big song and dance numbers. It, it's fantastic. Yeah, and it, it kind of writes itself because the original film is so musical. Yeah. You know, a a lot of the film is based around music. Mm-hmm. Then it leads itself to becoming a musical. Yeah. Um, with those songs as reference points, mm-hmm. as well, definitely. Uh, I think the first cinematography, fashion, and hair and comedy. I'm gonna say the original, um, only because you know, they both look fantastic. Um, but the original did that on a $2 million budget. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. and comedic wise, it, the, the first one is just, I think it's so much funnier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think with the hair and costumes, 
in particular, mm-hmm. the original film is the reference point. Yeah. For the remake. So they already had something to go on. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, we're remaking Hairspray. Well, let's just take that and make it cleaner. Mm-hmm. You know, the hair's huge. The dresses are over the top. Yeah. You know, so it's... Because the original originated it, mm-hmm. it wins in my eyes. Yeah. Uh, soundtrack, I want to give it a remake. Just because, you know... Obviously, the soundtrack to the original is great, um, but they're all already pre-existing songs, uh, whereas this uses its own songs that based on the film, and it's just, it's so good. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that is also, uh, in some ways, a critique of the stage musical as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, You know, because uh, I, think that, I think one or two songs that were written for the film specifically, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, fantastic songs, love them. Love do you have a top five songs? I do. So, number one is uh, Miss Baltimore Crabs. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it's Good Morning Baltimore. Mm-hmm. You Can't Stop the Beat. Mm-hmm. Um, I Know Where I've Been. Mm-hmm. Love that one. And, oh, Run and Tell That at number five. Mm-hmm. That seems a little harsh, but, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, yeah. Yeah, mine's a little different. Uh, New Girl in Town is number one, of course. Mm. Then Good Morning Baltimore. Uh, number three, I Can Hear the Bells. Right. Number four, You Can't Stop the Beat. And number five, I Know Where I've Been. Oh, nice. Uh, get it. All the songs are great, though. There's yeah. not a bad song in the bunch. No. There's not, you know, if I listen to the soundtrack, I wouldn't skip any. No. So. So getting on to the characters, we have Tracy Turnblad. We have a few characters to get through. Tracy Turnblad, 1988, played by Ricky Lake, and 2007, played by Nikki Blonsky. Ricky Lake is perfect casting. For yeah. Role. Really, really perfect casting. Um, she's so good. She just nails it. She, everything this character needs to be, she absolutely nails it. She never feels like she's too much. Uh, she's just perfectly camp, and yeah, just it works. She feels like a real girl. Mm-hmm. Um... And I think it's Ricky Lake's first acting role. Mm -hmm. And it does feel like she's been plucked from the streets. Yeah. I said, you play this girl. And she does it really well. Yeah. She feels real, uh, well-rounded as a character. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, she's she's really, really well. And it's so weird because I remember Ricky Lake from her talk show Mm -hmm. back in the day. And I had no idea... That she was, you know, in these John Waters films. Yeah. I thought she was just like, you know, America's version of Vanessa Feltz, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, Nikki Blonsky. Just, no. <laughs> it's difficult because obviously we know the story now. Yeah. Of, you know, the incident afterwards. But watching it this time... Her face annoys me at times. <laughs> yeah, um, no, you're absolutely right. She's I Can Hear annoying. the Bells is a great song, but her face throughout just <laughs> gets on my nerves. She's got a bit of the Leah Michelle's about her, <laughs> where she... It doesn't feel real. It feels very forced. Yeah. Um, she auditioned... For the role on Broadway. 
and she didn't get it. She was told mm-hmm. she was too young. And then, obviously, the film came out. She was the right age, and yeah. she got the role for the film. Um, and I suppose that is where my issue is. Tracy Turnblad is a real girl. Mm-hmm. You know, she's Mutia Buena, you know, of a day. She's a real girl. <laughs> uh, she lives in the real world. Um, and it doesn't feel real. It feels very... I went to stage school and I've been performing yeah. for 10 years. And, you know, my dance teacher told me, this is how you dance. Mm-hmm. This is how... You know, my drama teacher told me this and that and the other. Well, it didn't feel real. Yeah. You know, there's no real edge to her. Whereas I feel with Ricky Lake, she felt like a real girl. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Ricky, like, absolutely has yeah. the award for that one. Uh, Edna Turnblad, played in 1988 by Divine, and 2007 by John Travolta. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I worship Divine. Divine reads her daughter filth as soon as she comes on screen. Um, and she just... She isn't really interested in it until she realises what she can gain from her fame. And, and that's just hilarious. It's, it's so John Waters. Um, so divine. Um, you know, reminds me of a female trouble character. Yeah. <laughs> for a certain extent. Um, you know, she doesn't really have the most to do, but she absolutely does the best with everything. It's all in the delivery. Yeah. And divine delivers yeah. a line like no one else. Mm-hmm. Whereas John Travolta, I mean... Personally, my least favourite thing about the remake, I just, I don't know, kind of, it just, again, it feels a bit forced. It's, it feels very pantomime. It, it feels like the joke is, look at me, I'm John Travolta in not only a fat suit, but dressed as a woman. Yeah. I think John Travolta does fine. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that John, John. My pal John, uh, John Travolta didn't try and just copy Divine from the original. Yeah. Didn't try to do mm-hmm. a Divine impression, because what would have been the point of that? Mm-hmm. Um, John Travolta plays it like a real woman, mm-hmm. but also that's part of the weirdness of it all. Yeah, <laughs> because it's like. They've gone too far. And like I said earlier, you know, the smooth face is haunting. It is. Very haunting. Very scary. There's times where it looks like there's no nose. Yeah. It's very strange. It is very weird. Um, (laughs) But it's not meant to be. If it was meant to be... Yeah. You know, that would be fine. But because I feel like it, it wasn't meant to be... So scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, Divine absolutely. <laughs> Every time. Um, Wilbur Turnblad, played in 1988 by Jerry Stiller, and 2007 by Christopher Walken. There's not a lot to say about this one, because Jerry Stiller doesn't really do much. No. No, not um, a big role whatsoever. I find, and this is, for me, the perfect example, um, that in the remake, because of the songs... Yeah. And because of the um, longer running time, mm-hmm. characters are more developed. Yes. And I think every character is more developed mm-hmm. 
Um, the original is an hour and a half. The yeah. remake is two hours. Exactly. Um, in the original, there's scenes, lengthy scenes dedicated mm-hmm. to dancing. Yeah. You know, whereas in those scenes in the remake are dedicated to songs. Yeah. Songs that develop characters. Yeah. You know, so you get more of a sense of who they are. You know, Jerry Stiller in the original isn't on screen very much. No. Probably not even the length of a song. No. Whereas Christopher Walken gets two song scenes. Yeah. You know? And plus he's just entertaining to watch, just looking bewildered at everything that's happening. I like Chris I do like Christopher Walken. Um, I hope he's not cancelled. It's, it's hard to tell. I don't. I don't think. I he don't is. think he is. No. I do. I really like Christopher Walken, um, and I I do like that. Where am I? Style <laughs> of acting yeah. that he does. Whether intentional or not, it's fun to watch. And I love Jerry Stiller. Jerry Stiller is hilarious, mm-hmm. um, but it it's the character is just not not yeah. developed. So Christopher Walken gets that one. Yes. Uh, Penny Pingleton. Played by Leslie Ann Powers in 1988 and 2007 by Amanda Bynes. I can't emphasise enough how much I love Leslie Ann Powers in this role. Yeah. Might be my favourite performance in the original. It's so weird that it's her only film. Yeah, like she overacts so much. Again, she reminds me of Lulu in Polyester. Um, So funny. Just everything she says and everything she does is just so funny. Um... And it, it just works so well. Her chemistry with Ricky Lake is so good. Yeah. Uh, whereas Amanda Bynes is good. It's good in the role. That same charm isn't there, though. That, that same sort of John Waters-style performance isn't there. Um, and I kind of felt like she hated Nikki Blonsky. <laughs> you, know, you, get, you know when you watch Hannah Montana and you see Hannah and um, Emily, Os- is Emily Osment who plays... Uh, her best friend. I don't know. Um, yes, I think so. When you see the two of them, it kind of... You could tell that she didn't like Miley Cyrus. It's absolutely the same here. You could tell that Amanda Bynes did not want to be in any of those scenes with Nikki Blonsky. I could be wrong, but it looked like she fucking hated her guts. The chemistry was not there. It, that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of true. I do. I do like Amanda Bynes' performance, though. Um, I like her singing, actually. Um, she doesn't get to do much singing. No, she, she... I do like it. There's a massive chunk of this film where she takes a back seat. She does, she does. Not a huge Which is role. a shame. Um, but yeah, Leslie Ann Powell's very good. Very yeah. good. For, for the one and only acting role. Mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. That she had. Um, yeah. She does very well. Yeah, very absolutely. Well. She definitely wins that Do one. you know who plays... Penny in the live TV. No, no, I don't. Uh, Ariana Grande. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. We'd have to see that, actually. Yeah. I, I didn't think we would include it in this. No, no. It's, it's not Technically, a it's a remake, but it's ju- it's a televised yeah. um, performance exactly. of yeah. the Broadway show. Amber Von Tussle, uh, played in 1988 by Vitamin C. And 2007 by Brittany Snow. Why is that name so funny? Vitamin C, second podcast film. Vitamin C, yes. You may remember from Dracula 2000. Dracula 2000. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Vitamin C and Brittany Snow both do great 
performances here. So good. They're so funny. So good. And it's such a good role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I know Velma Von Tussle is the main yeah. villain. Um, well, racism is the main villain. Yeah. But in terms of characters, Velma Von Tussle is the main villain. Mm-hmm. But Amber Von Tussle is such a funny role in yeah. both films. Um, yeah. I mean, I want to say Brittany Snow, but only because she has the musical numbers on her side. And she is fantastic in those musical numbers. She so is. So good. She's so really, really I, good. I love watching Brittany Snow sing. I've learned that this year. Yeah, just um, yeah, just a slight tangent. Uh, Britney Spo, uh, Britney Snow, Britney Snow, Britney Snow. Was that your Amanda Bynes impression? It was. Yeah, <laughs> Britney Snow has given one of our favorite performances yeah. of this year in X. She's so good. She's a wonderful comedian, um, fantastic, and you can see where it's come from yeah. in this role as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I haven't seen Pitch Perfect. Um, but you can see in this role just how much of a wonderful actress and comedian she yeah, is. Absolutely. And I think she does well. I think Vitamin C did well. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of characters, they're not too dissimilar to each other no. in either film. No. Um, just a really well-written character. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love Amber Von Tussle. I'm, I know I'm not meant to, but I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, but British Snow is the winner, I believe. Yeah? Yes, yes, that is correct. Valma Von Tussle, and this is a difficult one, 1988, Debbie Harry, and 2007, Michelle Pfeiffer. How do you choose between that? You don't. Um, It's our podcast, we don't need to. Debbie Harry is just, I mean, her and Vitamin C together, amazing. Like, the scene where she's uh, forcing her to dance in the room, fucking hilarious. It's so funny. You know, she's making (laughs) being a bad parent look funny. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer, she she just makes the most of every second of that screen time. Yeah. You know, she puts so much into it. She really camps it up. Um, yeah, just... Uh, it has to be a tie. They both they both feel like they're having fun with the role, yeah. which helps. Yeah. Um, I suppose... Not, and I, I hate to go on about it, but I suppose not realising that playing <laughs> a racist helps you have fun with the role. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's our podcast, and I won't yeah, it's I a tie. to choose... Link Larkin, Michael St. Gerard in 1988, 2007, Zac Efron. It's difficult because, I mean, Michael St. Gerard, again, even though he's the main love interest, doesn't do a lot, but I do prefer his character in the original in the way that, you know, he's fully on the side of the protests and everything. This is the thing. It's the big difference between the two, apart from screen time, is the fact that Link in the remake initially refuses to join the protest uh-huh. because of his career, and it's a bit like, yeah. um, okay, did we need this? It's it, it, yeah, and it's, it seemed a little out of character for him. It did, it did really, it did. Yeah, it was it was weird because in the original, there's not really any question of Link doesn't really question anything. No, he he, you know. He asks um, Tracy to go steady. Mm. He doesn't have these, oh my God, I'm dating a big girl thing. He has oh my God, you know, do I support, you know, um, integration or not kind of thing. And, and, you know, whereas in the remake, he does. And it makes you think differently of the character. Yeah. 
Um, and also in the remake, it feels like he's solely there to be the love interest, and nothing else. They did that in the original. To be yeah, fair. but he stood for more of what he believed in the original. It's just that process. Yeah, scene that really it is. Me. It is. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, Zac Efron technically gives the better performance, though. Yeah, he does. Yeah. So. And he has he has a more. I mean, he has a whole song. Well, he has more than one song. Who do you want to give it to? Um. Oh, Zac Efron. Yeah, I we'll, like Zac we'll Efron. We'll get lynched if we uh, if we don't. <laughs> yeah, I like Zac Efron. He's a great actor. Mm. Uh, Motormouth Maybell, and again another difficult one. Nineteen eighty eight, Ruth Brown, and two thousand seven, Queen Latifah. Both just when they're on screen, that's who you're watching. They're absolute scene stealers. Yes. Yeah. They're both fantastic. Both really fantastic. Um, they both look great. Yeah. In the, those outfits and the, and the wigs. Um, I'm assuming wigs. Excuse me. I'm assuming they... I think they are wigs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. Just just great. Just... Yeah. It's, it's hard because it's... It, again, it's not a huge role. No. It's an important role, but it's not a huge role. Mm. There's not much acting involved. Yeah. Um, but they have such a wonderful screen presence. They do, yeah. Um, that's another one. I, I... Tie. Yeah, yeah, tie. Seaweed, 1988, Clayton Prince, and 2007, Elijah Kelly. Um, again, didn't get a lot to do. No, no. Um, but, that being said, in the remake, he does get the... Musical numbers, um, but the original one has great chemistry with uh, Leslie Powers. Powers. Yeah, I would give it to the remake mm-hmm. because I think he's uh, Elijah Kelly is a, a wonderful singer and dancer. Yeah, you know, and and does that really well. Um, so I would be inclined to give it to the remake. I think I think this is. Maybe a little unfair because, you know, we're going into quite minor characters that are more developed. Yeah, but still so plays such a big part of the story. Exactly. Though, you know? That's, um, you know, but Elijah Kelly gives a better performance yeah. because he has more to work yeah, with. Yeah, that's true. And finally, Corny Collins, 1988, Sean Thompson, and 2007, James Marsden. Um, I mean... James Mars is Cyclops from X-Men singing. I mean, what more could you uh, ask for? Um, yeah. Sean Thompson just doesn't do anything. No, it's really. not a huge... Again, it's not a huge character, even at the Corny Collins show. It's not a huge character. Not a huge character in the remake, no. either. Um, I will say that I had a real thing for James Mars. Mars didn't have to watch in this originally. <laughs> um, yeah. I love Corny Collins. I, I had a thing for James Marsden and X-Men when you couldn't see his eyes, so <laughs> do with that information what you will. Right, okay. <laughs> um, I suppose it's... So I'm fucking out. For who's, that reason, ooh, who's James winning? Marsden. James Marsden, which actually... I think it's only the second time this has ever happened. Actually brings us to a tie ah. for this week's winner. I mean, I'm going to go on record and say I prefer the original. Technically, the winner of the episode is both. Yeah. <laughs> Um, from but our it's, it's awards, our, our, and, you know, it's our yeah, 
It's our podcast, and I I do prefer the original. I I yeah. really do because so many of the the wonderful things in the remake are, are directly from the original. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's always going to be that, but that's not to take away from no. the remake because you know the songs are wonderful, uh, the performances are great. Yeah, mostly, you know, it's camp, it's fun. Overly schmaltzy at times, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those films you can put on, the whole family can watch, enjoy, and have a catchy song stuck in your head after, you know? Yeah. So, films don't always have to be these grand... I've said it before, you know, it, it, not every film is an Ingmar Bergman film. Some films are just, you press play and you get, you know entertained for an hour and a half two hours you know and both of these films do that yeah absolutely strong recommendation for both yeah no absolutely yeah um yeah probably remake original versus remake films are always good um ah shit no okay this year and last year they were last year was Suspiria of course um the year before was Prom Night where the original was great yes the remake exists wait wasn't that Britney Snow in that Britney Snow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was. Oh, yeah, I think she was. Yeah. So, that brings us to our best and worst new releases of the month. Again, just a reminder, because it's probably been a while since I said this, these films are the only the new releases we've watched, um, and we'll be including the rest of the films we've watched in honourable mentions. So, best of the month. It is... The brand new horror film from Blumhouse and Scott Derrickson. It's The Black Phone. Yeah. Yeah, great, great horror film. Wait, is this your best of the month too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I agree on both. Okay, good. Uh, Yeah, Uh, this is so creepy. Such a really, really creepy film. And really nails its 70s aesthetic um you know it really gives the feeling of being in the 70s tom zavini divide uh, designed the mask for the film which is terrifying there's some fantastic jump scares in here one that really got me um and it's just really unsettling just ethan Hawke is fantastic you know it's just a really 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 great film yeah it, it it's not trying to reinvent the wheel no uh but it does what it does really well uh, very creepy, atmospheric, some great performances, particularly from the young cast as mm, well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, really well done. And our worst of the month is, sadly, to much disappointment, Jurassic World Dominion. Yes. Um, disappointing, I would say. It's... Um, I don't, I'm struggling to remember. <laughs> It very much felt like they knew what scenes, they, what action scenes they wanted and that they wanted the original cast. Everything mm. else just felt like random ideas being pulled out of a hat. The script was abysmal. The, the actor who plays the villain did an awful, awful oh, job. so weird. So bad. So weird. Uh, it was great to see Laura Dern back. Chris Pratt was dead behind the eyes. He'd had um, enough. He looked like he's been had at gunpoint. He be was there. like, oh my God, I can't believe I signed that contract for three films. It, yeah, um, 
Yeah, just it's just awful. It's so bad. So so bad. It to me it just felt like the same old shit. Yeah. It just I just I can't in my head differentiate between the three Lost World films. Jurassic World. Jurassic World, whatever. <laughs> Didn't remember the name of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just I can't it it just feels like the same stuff churned out each time with slightly different you know, mm-hmm. it's whatever. Well, it's but it's boring. Yeah. Honorable mentions, uh, men. <laughs> Not just because it's Pride Month. Uh, the film Men. Uh, Jesse I wouldn't Buckley, recommend men to anyone. <laughs> Jesse Buckley doing her absolute best um, with an absolutely bizarre series of events for his final scene. Yeah, yeah, it's really creepy. It's, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All about. I, e- I I feel like people are like, whoa, oh my god, whoa, whoa, and I hate to be that guy, but I feel like all the whoa moments I've seen before. Okay, that last sequence, you've seen that before. Um. Yes, but if I tell you, it's a spoiler. Okay. Fair enough. enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, no, a lot of it is. It's it's not a five star film, but it is a good film. All about evil. Yeah. So, oh, Peaches Christ, Mink um, Stoll, Mink Stoll as well. Um, Cassandra Peterson. Cassandra Peterson playing Reba, playing the <laughs> the mother of a kid who has a sexy Avara poster on his wall. Yeah. Fucking incredible. So good. Oh, and um, oh my god. Why am I struggling? Natasha Leone. Natasha Leone. She was the best part of the film. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic. Loved it. Half time. Camp slash up. Yeah. Fun. Half time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was like, which one's half time? Yeah, if That's you like. has got a lot of bad rep if online. If you like Jennifer Lopez, you will enjoy Half yeah. Time. If you do not like Jennifer Lopez, do not watch Half Time. Yeah. Simple as that. It's got so much bad rep online. Oh, she's been so horrible to people. Oh, come on. You fucking see it. She's one of the most likable celebrities around. I love she, She's a celebrity that knows what she wants. So what the fuck's wrong with that? Exactly. And if a man was going around doing that... Oh, and exactly. Like, oh, you know, what a strong oh, fella. what a great guy. The Lure... One of my... Easily, this might be in my top ten favourite musicals of all time. Like, this is fucking incredible. Yeah, it was so... It was... Very strange. An hour and thirty of a bizarre series of events. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we need more mermaid horror musicals. Um, Kim Richard, uh, the Polish Kim Richards. Who I thought was Alison Goldthrop. Yeah. Uh, Deb's a immediate new favorite film of mine. Um, just oh my god, just a film that really laughs at its low budget and makes the most of it to do something incredible. So. LGBTQ plus positive uh, and released in the 2000s. Not something you see all the time. No. Um, it's, and it's camp, darling. It's camp. So camp. Poison Ivy. Yeah. Drew Barrymore getting that older dick. Farewell, my concubine. That's what you got from Poison Ivy? Yes. Drew Barrymore was amazing in that film. Farewell, my concubine. Yeah. Farewell, my concubine. Amazing. Love, love, loved that film. Have something uplifting ready to watch after. Exactly. It's, um, yeah, it's, I don't what's the term I've got to use? It's, it is, it is But it's not, there's not a negative. 
No. Because that's what it, it's not a nice film. There are parts that do feel relentlessly bleak. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes that's, that's the film, you know. But just as a warning, if you aren't feeling top-notch, no. I wouldn't recommend watching it. It's It's not like a feel-good film. By any means. Victor Victoria. Um, now there's a feel-good film. Yeah, there you go. Do that double bill. <laughs> Do that double bill. Uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. Same director as Depp. very good. Yeah, yes. really good. Um, talking surprisingly very good. Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. <laughs> yes. This film was hilarious. So funny. So, so, so funny. So much better than it had any right to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't, I, I, <laughs> how can a sequel to Chippendale be that fucking exactly. good? Exactly, I don't. I don't really know how to describe <laughs> it. It's like Last Action Hero, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but in twenty twenty two. And a little bit of Bojack. Yeah. Like the the humor. If if felt like it was made for people to watch it when they were younger. It felt like it was made for adults. The humor was so. And I think it is. I think it's definitely for people who remember Chippendale, yeah. back in the day. So many great pop culture references. Um. Scary Sonic being... Ugly Sonic, even. Ugly being Sonic. the biggest highlight. So Stranger by the Lake. A film that everyone was on about. Oh, well, you got to see a rim job in that film. Um, well, actually, do you know what? It's actually really fucking good. And the sex kind of adds to it, the real sex. Like, it adds to the seedy nature of what's going on in the film. Yeah. It it does feel very seedy. Mm. Um, no pun intended. It's a thriller as well. So that kind of adds to it. It's... Really intense, really It good. is, it is. It, it's, I, I suppose it's part of gay culture that does exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pariah, fantastic. Yeah, really enjoyed Pariah. Um, and also, that reminds me, we need more queer African-American cinema on the Criterion Collection, because I am so glad this film was on the Criterion Collection. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that films like this because when when you think Criterion Collection, you think Citizen Kane, mm-hmm. you think, you know, um, I keep saying it, but Ingmar Bergman. Yeah. But I think having the kind of seal of approval from the Criterion Collection mm-hmm. really helps people to see this film. Yeah. You know, and to notice and to have it accessible. Yeah. Because it's a very important film. I... I Definitely think so. And very well made. Mm-hmm. Very well executed. Really enjoyed it. Saving Face. Yes. Yeah. 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 Also yeah. really great. More uh, positive gay representation from the 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. And and from a Asian-American mm. perspective as well. Yeah. And two, two taboos, really, uh, with one lead character... Um, being pregnant from a hookup and another character being gay mm. and how, you know, how their culture looks upon that. And yeah, really interesting, but also really funny as well. Yes. Really good. Suddenly last summer, we've mentioned it enough through other episodes oh referencing it. Oh my God. <laughs> I fucking loved Suddenly Last Summer. Um, high camp. Yeah. So over the top at times. Uh, wonderfully acted mm-hmm. by Elizabeth Taylor, Montgomery Clift, and uh, Catherine Hepburn. It's Tennessee Williams, mm-hmm. so it's you know, 
High Camp. I I think Tennessee Williams is camp. Yeah. You know, Streetcar Named Desire as well. You know, loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. Uh, beautiful thing. The nineties answer to Heartstopper. This has been a good Pride movie. Oh, it really has. Uh, this year, the theme has absolutely been films I wish I'd discovered when I was younger. I mean, this is we've gone through so many films. Yeah. that were really, really good. Yeah, and I'm struggling to think of a bad one. No, Beautiful Thing. You know, Shirley from EastEnders, Gayson. You yeah. know that that Mike Lee. Ken Loach yeah. kind of kitchen sink British filmmaking mm-hmm. that I love from a, a you know a gay perspective. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. And if, yeah, if you're looking for TV shows to watch as well during Prime, I mean, again, something we've referenced relentlessly this month: Heartstopper and also um, Big Boys. Yeah, love I feel like Big we need Boys. to mention because it's not getting it's it's getting great reviews and whatnot, but. It's not quite as popular as Heartstopper yet. And I obviously see why Heartstopper is, is so big. I fucking loved it. Um, but it deserves just as much attention for its realism and, again, that ability to tell important, serious stories whilst being funny. Yeah, and it, it has uh, a real sense of humour, a very British sense of humour. There's a lot of references to British culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and a particular kind of British culture that doesn't wouldn't translate to everyone. Yeah. Whereas I think Heartstopper um, translates a bit yeah. better. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it, Heartstopper's a bit more middle class. It's made <laughs> for younger audiences as well. Yeah. Whereas um, Big Boys is definitely more adult orientated. Yes. Um, it also has the best coming out scene from any piece of media ever. So uh, if you're not going to watch the whole show, at least watch that one coming yeah. out scene. Um, original cast album, Company. Yes. Elaine Strict, uh, absolute legend. A whole lot of camp squeezed into 50 minutes. So much. <laughs> so wonderful. I am now obsessed with Company. Um... Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And finally, the film that we started Pride Month with, uh, again, a film I would have been obsessed with when I'm younger, a film I'm very much obsessed with now, we'll probably watch every year, but I'm a cheerleader. Yeah. This is similar to John Waters. This is very John Waters, and we were both really stupid for taking so long to watch it. Yeah, fantastic. And another Natasha Leone film. Yeah, of course. You know, the the best lesbian great, isn't a lesbian. Yeah, great performance from her. Um, so True ally, ever. <laughs> that is this month's original versus remake episode done. And if you would like to, you sound relieved. <laughs> no, I'm not relieved. I think uh, it's yeah, it's been it's been a great. It's one. crazy just having to go through those films. Mm. Just that, well, not having to, but choosing to go through yeah. those films. Just how many. Great films we've watched. I mean, we're recording this now. We've still got a few days left of June as well. We've got a, a loads we've more got films loads left to watch. And they all look great, which would have made it on here, I'm sure. Um, and if you know, you were saying about a bad film, uh, the Gay Deceivers. Gay Deceivers. Fucking awful. Yeah, Gay Deceivers. It wasn't fucking awful. <laughs> there, was there was one, one good thing about there it. There was one good thing. So if you're if you want to watch the Gay Deceivers. We all know the infamous scene, you know, um, they're marigolds. You silly queen. You silly queen. 
I know a bitch. I don't. I may not know my flowers, but I know a bitch when I see one. Yeah, that goes great. He was the best thing about He's it. He's the best thing about yeah. it. So, and there is a cut on YouTube of just <laughs> his scenes. Yeah. So do that. <laughs> um, yeah, so tell us what you've been watching over Pride Month. Of course, we've been giving out our recommendations every day. Hope People seem to be loving them. Hopefully they're watching them. Um, we are, we gave our details earlier in the episode. Rewind back. Um, but if you wanted to contact us personally, I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram, and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like and follow on everything else. Next month's original versus remake, we will be discussing one of the greatest horror films ever made, one of the greatest films ever made. Finally discussing Texas Chainsaw Massacre alongside its 2003 remake, which is also really good. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, we're just being kind is of the original, Is the one this year, is that not a remake? It is certainly not a remake, thankfully. It is a sequel. Remember Sally? It's... Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow, I really, really tried to push that film out I of don't my blame, yeah. consciousness. Um, yeah, next month we'll be changing things up a bit oh, yeah, as well. So, that's um, really thick of me. I the, do apologise. That's really stupid. It's probably the best time to announce what episode 200 will be. Very fitting with this episode. Oh. So, big milestone. Um, an episode where we're going to change things up a bit. We're going for a rebrand. We're going for a rebrand. And we'll be keeping, you know, the things you love. We're not going to be completely changing. Um, you know, we're still going on tangents about Holly Jervis. Um, but... Keeping with John Waters, we've discussed Serial Man, we've discussed Polyester, and now Hairspray. And of course, what better way to celebrate 200 episodes than with fucking Pink Flamingos. Pink Flamingos. Pink Flamingos, accompanied by a brand new logo, um, brand new announcement poster, which will be coming into... We'll be, I'll be posting that soon now. But yeah. We're changing things up. We're getting a facelift. Celebrate 200. Yes. We're getting fillers. Botox, yes. um, yeah, all that good stuff. <laughs> and in the meantime, on Tuesday we'll <laughs> Maybe be <a> back. <laughs> on Tuesday we'll be back uh, with our final episode of Pride Month, where we will be discussing our first foreign language film on the podcast. Ooh, that's terrible! Almost two hundred. Our first foreign language well, film. I'm glad we've reached it before two hundred. Um, we will be discussing Killer Condom. With uh, very special guests, uh, the Horror Bandwagon Yay. Podcast. Go and listen to them uh, in the meantime. We'll be back same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.